I want you to say, yell at me, the first word that comes to mind, right? But it can only be one word, right? No mini sermons or anything, one word, right? You ready? And you can play this online as well if you like, right? So just write down. So here's the word. Grace. Peace. Anything else? Love. Favour. Joy. Amazing. Yeah, I was waiting for someone. I'm waiting for someone to say the person who does the PA as well, but we call her Amazing Grace as well. Okay, so that was good, right? Do you want to try another one? I'll give you another one. Remember, first word that comes to your mind, don't think about it too much, just say the word. Law. Saviour. What was that one out there? Order. Thanks, Kathy. Light. Okay. There you go. It wasn't too painful, was it? So, it's interesting, though, isn't it? That, and we see in both of those readings, actually, in John, in John eight, when we're still there, and but also in Mark, this um, this idea of the law and grace. But I want us to have a little bit of a look about that this morning because. Sometimes I think we, we find grace to be very comforting, but we can sometimes find the law to be a bit intimidating, to be a bit kind of judgmental, to be a bit threatening. And you see in, in John, when we look in John, you know, these, now I know these, these teachers of the law were trying to trap Jesus, but they used the law, didn't they? And did you notice that Jesus never said, in response to their accusation. He never said the law doesn't matter. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because if Jesus didn't say the law didn't matter, then the law matters. But you notice as well that what he does is he treats the law with grace. And so I want us to kind of address this, this thing that sometimes we find in some people some Christians, there is a tendency to shy away from, say, the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is full of harsh reality. It's full of law. It's full of judgment. It's full of God doing stuff that sometimes we might actually feel a bit uncomfortable about thinking that God would do these things. But the New Testament, we kind of veer towards that, because the New Testament's full of Jesus full of the grace of God. It's full of forgiveness. But what I want us to see this morning is that you can't actually have one without the other. And God's grace is made so vivid in light of God's law. John seems at first glance to be this this kind of example of the law bringing judgment, but grace bringing mercy. And the religious leaders particularly seem to have this desire to make the law something that was to be scared of. Right? If you were a religious leader, you know the story, imagine the religious leader standing. You imagine Tom, 
right, our Tom, standing outside where the notice board is, and as people were walking past, he would proclaim loudly, God, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners in Leon C. Right? Now, I don't know whether you can imagine that. I can't actually imagine it because I don't think our Tom would do that. But It's that kind of thing. It's that very judgmental, scared, something that brought suspicion because if you didn't live up to the law, something that brought separation and ultimately something that brought condemnation. And it's, it's a great example of God giving something that was intended for good and man making a really good job of messing it up. But remember what I said. Jesus never said the law doesn't matter. So actually, we need to get a grasp hold of it. The church today, we need to understand what was going on here. Let's spend a few minutes, and I've set my stopwatch, you'll be pleased to know, because I know none of you want to miss the APCM, right? Because I know that is the highlight. Um, Let's spend a couple of minutes, just a few minutes, looking at two important things, maybe three, if we have time. So I've only got two points, maybe three, right? I want us to look at the origin of the law, and I want us to look at the purpose of the law. And then if we have time, we'll look at to do with the fulfillment of the law. All right? So let's first of all look at the origin of the law. And to look at the origin of the law, we really need to turn back to Genesis chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. And let's have a little look at verse 17. Now, you know the the kind of situation, right? But I'll just give you a quick synopsis. God, the creator of everything, who has always been, decided that he was going to create everything. The moon, the stars, the universe, everything the earth, the mountains, the trees, the birds, the fish, the animals, the sun, the moon. And then he creates Adam. And he says to Adam something in Genesis 2, verse 17. He says this. Well, let's, 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 read, uh, let's, read, um, let's read from verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, we all know that. We've all heard that before, isn't it? But what happened? Now, at this stage, actually, Adam hadn't been created because just after that, God says, it's not good for you to be alone, so I'm going to give you a helpmate and creates Eve. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Do you think it's ironic that the first two people were called Adam and Eve because it's like A and E? When they sinned, it all went wrong? Uh, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But, but 
Can you see, though, that God said, all of this is for your enjoyment. Don't eat of the fruit because it will lead to death. So you see, God's first command that he gives mankind is based out of God's love for us. Isn't it the most basic, well, isn't it the most basic function of a loving parent to protect our children? Is that not? I've seen, I've seen small stature mums who when their kids are threatened, I back off. <laughs> not that I'm, that sounds completely wrong, didn't it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? As a parent, you will protect your children. That is your desire. That's your innate desire. Do you want to know where that came from? Look at Genesis 2, 17. God, as a heavenly father, said, don't do this. I want to protect you from death. But you know how the story went. What I want us to understand, though, that the origin of of the law, the reason God did this is not because, do you know what, God just has to have something where he can suppress us and tell us we're bad and all that thing. God did it because he loves us. He loves Adam and Eve. The law existed and was born out of love. That's the first point I want us to remember. Now, I said there's only two points, right? We've already done one of them. See? So, if the origin of the law is love, then what's the function of the law? Why does the law exist? I'm talking about God's law. I'm not talking about the law that says, you know, you can only do 45 miles an hour, speed limit outside schools and stuff like that. No, I'm just kidding. Why do we need the law? Well, Think of it like this. The law is the great leveler. The law is the great leveler. We're told in Romans, uh, we won't look it up, but I'll give it to you for your reference. We're told in Romans 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Don't you love how inclusive Scripture is? All have sinned. You have never met anyone who has not fallen short of the glory of God. You will never meet anyone who has not fallen short of the glory of God. See, we are all in the same boat. The law is the great leveler. It doesn't matter whether you are super educated, it doesn't matter whether you are rich, you are poor, you are Australian, no matter how bad it gets, you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I just want to jump over in Romans and read Romans 5 verse 8. Let's have a look at Romans 5 verse 8 because I want you to I want us all to grasp hold of this. It's such an important thing. 
Romans 5 verse 8 says this. And look out for the key word here. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? I don't know how you feel about um, doing things for people who maybe have offended you, maybe who you don't agree with their worldview, maybe you um, have some situation, maybe you just don't even know them. How are you at doing good things for complete strangers? While you and me were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that an amazing thing to grasp? See, we need to understand that Christ died for our neighbor. He died for the annoying and the unpleasant and the uncouth and the oppressed and the marginalized and the weak and the weary and the burdened and the blessed and the, the clever and those who have had an easy life and those who have had a hard life. Because of God's love, and remember that love was what brought the law, Christ died for all. Whatever category you fit in this morning. Now, perhaps you're one of these, one of these people who sit there and go, I will not be put into a category. Right, I get that, I respect that, that's your choice. But even you, Christ died for. Right, doesn't matter where you sit or where you don't want to sit. Christ died for you, and he died for me. Why? Because we're all the same. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So you see, if you're this poor woman who's been caught in adultery, which was against the law, although the law said you should bring the man and the woman, but they conveniently forgot that, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter whether you're a religious leader, we all fall short. And so that, do you know what, that's so encouraging? Because you need never be intimidated or feel that you are worth less than any other human being that has ever lived. Because the, you share the same spiritual state, and if we share the same spiritual state, then we have available to us the same spiritual promises. And that is that while we were in that place, God said, my love compels me to do something. So you see, the purpose of the law is that it reveals that we need a savior. Because we can't do it. You and I cannot fulfill the law in our own strength. Take the 10 commandments. I don't want a show of hands right? Just think about it for a moment. How many of the Ten Commandments do you think you have broken? I'll, I'll give you my answer. All of them, right? All of them. And that's the reality, isn't it? So you see, rather than the law being this thing that is there 
to make us feel bad about ourselves. The law is there to show us that we cannot possibly do it on our own and we need a saviour. He died for us not because we asked him to. Not because you asked him to or I asked him to. You know what? He died not because you deserved it. Not because I deserved it. He died because the Father required it. Because we had broken the law. And the only way that could be redeemed was by a perfect sacrifice. And there's only one perfect sacrifice. Without the law, none of us would ever grasp the need of a saviour. Isn't that amazing? So, if we see that the foundation is love, and we see that the purpose is to point us to a saviour, then we're just left with one question. Well, how does that affect us? Let me, let me say this about the law as well. The law is designed to convict and not to condemn. That's a, it's a really big difference, but it's really important that we understand it. See, the woman in John 8 who was brought before Jesus was being condemned by the religious leaders. God will not condemn you. God will convict you. Why does he convict you? Because you've all broken the law. I've broken the law. Conviction means that there is a price to be paid. Condemnation you can never get rid of. Condemnation is when the devil tells you, that you know what, you're just not a... You're just not a good person. Condemnation, it's just like a thing that you can never shake off. God will never do that to you. God will never add to your burden. He will always lighten your burden. So what do we do about this? How does it affect us? Well, a great place to start, and I'm sure many of us have, but a great place to start is that we need to acknowledge that compared to the law, the standard the law sets, we fall short. That's the place to start. You know what? Conviction requires a cost. <coughs> now, in my experience... Uh, this is not an illustration, I just need a drink of water. <laughs> I was going to give the old is your glass, no. In my experience, there are typically three ways we deal with conviction, right? And the first is, and I did this for many years, and I'm sure some of you as well, the first is that you ignore it, right? I don't want any, who's God to me anyway? What does it matter? Right? I've since learned that ignoring God's conviction is a bit like ignoring parking tickets. I thought a long time of a very spiritual 
parallel here. If you ignore parking tickets, eventually they catch up with you. If you ignore God's conviction, eventually it will catch up with you. And just let me say, the consequences of ignoring God's conviction are eternally more significant than parking tickets. So that's the first thing. The second way of doing it is by using your own strength to be a good person. I never go out of my way to purposely offend people. It's my way of, you know, one of those little disclaimers you see, right? I never go out of my way to purposely offend people. You can never be a person good enough to meet God's glory, the standard of God's glory. Doesn't matter, you might help old people across the road, you might help young people across the road, you might give to charity, you might volunteer for everything. You might even go to church, dare I say it. There was a singer-songwriter um, quite a few years ago named Keith Green, and he, he had this quote. He said, um, he said, going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> okay? So... Unfortunately, I just reset the timer on my phone. So as far as I'm concerned, this is like minute one. So just scratch this off and no, so. There's a third way, isn't there? And the third way of dealing with conviction is that we totally rely on the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And we cry out to him for mercy. I know many of you have already done that. But if you haven't done that, I just want to say to you, you don't have to be qualified. You don't have to have a deep understanding. You don't have to have a, a position where you think you're ready. You are ready right now to cry out to God and say, have mercy on me because I fall short of who you are. I fall short of your standard, and there's nothing I can do. And you know what? Maybe I'm tired of ignoring it. I need you. And you know the thing? Let me, let me um, it's not even a secret, but I'll tell you. Any person that does that, God, meets with you, will wipe away every sin. Do you know, I was amazed um, when, I, when I first came to Christ, I tried to name all my sins, and they were many. And then I understood he knows them all anyway. He knows you. He knows what you've done. He will deal with it all, and he will welcome you in to his family. the law and grace. John 8, the religious leaders. Judge, stone, condemn. Jesus' response, 
You ever wonder what he wrote in the sand? Yeah? Are you one of the sand writers? I wonder what he wrote in the sand. But anyway, his response was, he that is without, inclusive again, he that is without sin, because all have sinned and fulfill the glory of God, cast the first stone. And then you notice what he said to this, this lady, and you, you notice it's not the first time he says it in Scripture, right? He says, go and sin no more. So you see, I'm a child of grace, but I'm still under the law because God says to me, Craig, go and sin no more. So grace and law are like two sides of the same coin. My desire for us as a fellowship, my desire for you as a believer, my desire for me as a believer, is that you would carry God's law in your heart. Uh, read what Joshua has to say about this. You know, we very often we quote the beginning of um, beginning of Joshua one, don't we? Be strong and courageous, and it goes on to talk about the law and to have it on your lips and in your heart and to meditate upon it. So it's important to God. God's law in your heart, God's grace in your life, and God's word in your mouth. How would this society be transformed if we could manage those three things? God's law in our hearts, God's grace in our lives, and God's word in our mouth. See, God's law represents God's love. It represents God's gift in Jesus. And it represents and it talks and it points to God's promise that he's going to come again. We read John 8 and we see it, but we also need to be careful that we don't fall into the same way of viewing the law as those religious leaders did. Shall we pray? Let's pray.